Hello and welcome to this special episode of Friends of Europe's Frankly Speaking podcast on memes and their uses or misuses in the information space. I'm your host for this episode, Sean Flynn, and I'm joined by my colleague and fellow meme enthusiast, Evan de Costa Marquez. What we're hoping to bring you in this episode is into the world of memes, as well as how they've become front and center in the fight against copyright infringement, disinformation, and much more. A short history of memes would probably start out somewhere at the beginning of depiction itself as a way of construing an idea in the same way that ancient artists made use of materials at their disposal to convey narratives using images. It's a history that stems from the popularity of satirical cartoons, like you would see in newspapers, and the way in which information can be easily caricatured to represent a much larger thing. With the emergence of the internet, however, everything changed. And that's what we're hoping to discuss with you today. The story of memes really began in earnest with chat forums and social media platforms like MySpace, where memes were more like mascots with funny characters. So for example, you had Philosoraptor, Scumbag Steve, Forever Alone Guy, if people remember him. And nowadays, memes rarely have the longevity to catalyze an identity. They usually just appear on your feed and then they trend and then they die out. And similarly, memes may not necessarily be analogous for one specific person or thing as satirical cartoons were. Memes today have become a lot more intertextual. Being able to easily copy and paste an image from one part of the internet and place it in another context has given memes an ability to replicate incredibly fast and coalesce multiple sources. And so especially today with the advent of AI image generators, it shows no signs of stopping. DAL-E, for example, is just one such AI image generation tool that uses this kind of iterative model of image generation that's really become popular in the past year or so. And Weird DALI Images, a Twitter account, started in February 2022, now has over 1.2 million followers on Twitter. And in June, DALI Mini has been serving up around 50,000 images a day. So what is the issue with memes? I mean, aren't they just for our entertainment or is it possible that memes have now taken on a new shroud in the information space? Evan? Thanks for this introduction, Sean. Well, the first objective of memes is to entertain. However, they also represent a new form of online communication. So how should we perceive memes? It's literally like a different language and you can tell because where some people will know what I mean by the Drake meme, it means they have an understanding of a niche digital culture. But they're also difficult to define because memes take on different expressions such as vines and TikToks. Nowadays, we have algorithms that generate custom photography and network that despite maybe help businesses with marketing, could also have the power to manipulate and mislead. A warning on the Dall E mini web page warns that it may reinforce or exacerbate societal biases or generate images that contain stereotypes against minority groups. Some go as far as to wonder whether image generating apps are evil. Memes could also be seen as part of this new 
digital culture. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is hard to crack down on them specifically just because they are so hard to define. I mean, you mentioned TikToks and Vines. Um, and there's a lot to be said about how memes have been misused in the information space, um, ranging from copyright infringement to censorship, disinformation and more. But what happens when people become memeified, when someone literally becomes, you know, the subject of a meme? Well, I think there, there are two things. The people who share the meme are not held accountable and it takes away agency from the person that is in the meme. For instance, a case from Brazil in 2017 highlights just that. The president, Michel Temer, tried to stop the unauthorized use of his image in the creation of memes, stating that the pictures in the presidency's website were available for journalistic purposes only, and any other use needed the government consent. This strange situation got, that could give the president the power of approving the satire made at, it, at his expense was itself the subject of various memes, which ultimately forced the government to step back. Memes are both modes of expression and satire and tools for political coercion. However, the Michel Temer example demonstrates the vulnerability of memified subjects. Accountability over what memes enter the information space is distributed between the many individuals who viewed and shared it. Because memes rely on humor and immediate re reactions as essential to function, memes personalize political and societal challenges and reduce them to the level of individual actors instead of the broader political structures which bind them to reality. And regarding agency, I think one particular example stands out. On October 31, 2006, Nikki Katsuras, a girl from California, US, was killed in a road traffic accident. Her photographed corpse was later leaked and became a meme. The Katsuras case is a significant and distressing example of the carnivalesque way in which online images can become detached from their offline context, often leading to harmful effects for real people. The memification of dead human bodies reveals practical changes to recent legal developments, such as the right to be forgotten, which has been implemented in European jurisdictions as of 2014. Yeah, um, it's true. And I think that images of death, as you mentioned, you know, they really have been used often in the past, even in newspapers, like for specific purposes, that could be to elicit sympathy, like I think an image that we're all very familiar with now in Europe uh, with the refugee crisis um, was the image of the Syrian child that washed ashore on the beaches of Turkey. Um, as well, I think even to spark political protests, images of death have been used, like in the case of uh, George Floyd. But yeah, as you mentioned, in the case of Katsura's, um, the hard case, the images were used as a sort of a, a morbid laughing stock, um, which I think actually is more is arguably more violent because it just dehumanizes the subject for some kind of sick entertainment. But I think ultimately you're right in that it is vital to note that none of these depicted individuals were alive when their corpse images were uh, beginning to circulate on the internet, and none of them had any agency over over the circulation. Um, I want to take the conversation in a bit of a different vein. 
So far, we've discussed how memes have affected individuals, um, people who've been made into memes. But what about memes used in politics itself? Well, there is absolutely no doubt that memes have a political use. The alt-right, for instance, has inverted narratives through the use of memes. In a paper from the Journal on, of Contemporary European Studies in 2021, the alt-right spotted one of their favorite conspiracy theories that European integration is part of a master plan by elites to encourage more and more, and I quote, corporate capitalism. It also talks about how the small faction thought this was in order to partly replace the predominantly white population with migrants from outside Europe. The paper argues that what's insidious about the way memes work is while only a small group of people may believe what they are presented with, bits and pieces of their arguments filter down into the mainstream narrative. But of course, memes being what they are, there is the counter-offensive also where memes have become a sort of radar for people. Seeing one type of meme immediately signals whether something is in keeping with liberal values or not. For instance, one of memes infamous avatars of illiberalism is P.P. the Frog. The Frog was co-opted by the alt-right to expand ideas about the Ku Klux Klan and Nazism. So for young liberals, seeing the P.P. the Frog meme actually tells them this meme is not in the circle of what is moderate. That's something which can really empower young people to undermine national propaganda, like in Viktor Orban's Hungary. People there saw the similarities between government propaganda billboards and the aesthetics of parodic social media content. And because of that, these youth began to perceive everyday situations as internet memes. Navigating generational differences, class antagonisms, and rural-urban divisions for them, seeing the world as a meme anchors the youth sense of truth and untruth, as well as liberal identity in the polarized political field. But of course, memes are no longer just of social value. The Russia-Ukraine war saw memes being used in an all-out paramilitary cyber fight. Last year, Politico wrote about NAFO, a kind of spin of on NATO, meaning the North Atlantic Fellows Organization, which really exemplifies the informal, decentralized way these gathering works. The fellows were able to weaponize memes and bring the fight to cyberspace. They piled onto Russian propaganda via coordinated social media attacks that relied on humor to poke fun at the Kremlin and undermine its online messaging and propaganda. Ukraine's defense minister, Oleksiy Reznikov, even tweeted a personal salute to the NATO fellows and changed his profile picture to Shibu Inu, carrying a Ukrainian shield. It was totally unprecedented and, according to experts, represented an actual tactical event against the nation state. So, memes' importance cannot be understated. Mm. Agreed. I think especially given the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic brought along an infodemic, um, so-called, which has been amplified in the digital world, it's really no surprise that memes have this ability, as you mentioned, to shift the social and military pillars 
introducing NAFO as a way of weaponizing memes. It's really interesting. So the question becomes then, how do we get a handle on all of this? And what are the rules underpinning, um, I guess, content moderation, uh, the spread of disinformation and all of that? And so in addition to existing GDPR frameworks, the European Union will implement the Digital Services Act of the DSA and the Digital Marketing Act, DMA, in January 2024. Some of these rules are already in effect, but the entire, uh, the both of the acts will come in, into force um, fully by that date. And these two acts, they're going to enforce new rules for the big tech companies like Meta and Google to stop out disinformation and the systemic risks associated with it. But I think it has a lot to answer for in terms of connecting the dots. Some of the potential Bottlenecks the DSA presents include the cost of compliance, which could be a burden for new or smaller companies entering the market. I mean, let's face it, memes really are a digital marketing goldmine. And if compliance measures are brought in to ensure content is moderated, it could create a shortfall in the field. Uh, there's also the liability factor that the DSA would hold digital platforms liable for certain types of illegal content, which could lead to increased censorship and uh, a chilling effect on free speech. Now, one of the key goals of the DSA is to take on this hot potato of content moderation, uh, who gets to do it and why. With the DSA, online platforms will be required to take greater responsibility for the content that they host. However, on a lot of social media platforms, they perform self-regulation in-house, which has a lot of downsides for researchers and users. So. You know, if a beheading video makes its way onto Facebook, there's a, per a person behind the screen in California clicking delete and without any researcher's knowledge, usually. But it isn't like this everywhere. The architecture of some digital platforms like Discord and Reddit have a very different form of self-regulation. Moderators or mods, they're called. Uh, they're user elected and seen as, you know, quote unquote, one of us. And often they're more transparent about the rules and why certain content was removed. As studies show, having mods gives more logic to social media platforms because they create the conditions for accountability and help people understand why their meme or whatever was taken down. And it also offers new forms of digital and diplomatic literacy as well. So, Say we took the best of both moderator-led platform practice of governance and the DSA. Because the DSA is open to independent oversight, this form of regulation really could help platforms to create and adopt universal guidelines that fulfill the DSA objectives and are also practical for those platforms. And look, more than likely, not everything will be regulated in the best possible way going forward, but it's a process. It's one ecosystem that gives you users the freedom to express themselves while enabling the DSA to learn in a much more organic way. But ultimately, without sufficient legal standards, which could span multiple jurisdictions or more strict and enforceable user regulations for online platforms, the challenge of controlling the circulation of sensitive images still remains. Let's turn now to our special guest for this episode, Louis Ogri, who is a journalist who specializes in the topics that we've been discussing in terms of fact-checking, 
fake news in internet culture, memes, and the regulations that underpin them. He works on TV and radio for France Info and RFI. Louis, thank you so much for being on this podcast. So, Louis, the uh, first question we may wonder and we want to ask you actually is like, regarding disinformation through memes, what is its impact for journalism? Um, personally, in the work of fact-checking I do and with my internet watch in France, I don't feel memes represent one particular challenge. I have more the impression that the challenge is to be able to uh, to face the mountain of viral images on social networks, um, a photo montage, a photo taken out of its contest. I think it's the omnipresence of these images that forces us to be constantly alert on what we can see or or relay. Uh, once we have said that, it's obvious that memes have a real power of disinformation. I think what could originally originally um, what could originally be just a joke, a text on an image, can turn out to be a real fake news. And we have seen several examples recently. I think. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned fake news. Um, and of course, disinformation being you know one of the many uses of uh, memes today. Uh, we discussed a bit about how COVID brought on this sort of infodemic in the cyberspace uh, with a lot of misleading messages about the vaccines and conspiracy theories. And we discussed how insidious a lot of memes can be in that they can filter down and bits and pieces of the narrative can enter the mainstream. So, you know, from your perspective, how did you experience it? And did you see the disinformation aspect of memes strengthen over the last couple of years due to COVID. Yeah, yeah, the COVID period certainly um, highlighted this. I think we have seen jokes about uh, vaccines, for instance, appearing, which became real arguments for the conspiracy and anti-vaccine sphere. For instance, I think about this meme with Drake, uh, the rapper Drake, uh, which said in a very explicit way that it was better to get sick from COVID than using an, exper an experimental vaccine that could uh, change our DNA. From um, my observation of the internet, I have the impression that in France, I see this kind of, this kind of means less than it could be seen in USA or UK, for instance, but it is something that clearly developed during the, the pandemic, yeah. And, you know, like in the in 2023, the EU will implement the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. Mm -hmm. All those two acts are the EU's only hopes to curb the dissemination of harmful memes in the information space. Um, we are waiting to see the real effects of these measures, which could uh, effectively be useful to, to harmonize actions in Europe to better control practices on the networks. This would be a good thing. Uh, the problem we have specifically with um, disinformation through memes is that it shows the limits of artificial intelligence, I think. For instance, memes can easily trap an artificial intelligence. 
I remember an anti-infox tool from um, Instagram, I think, that ended up blocking a bit of everything and anything because there is a specific problem with memes to understand it to and to clearly understand it you have to understand their context especially the cultural context and um, to really fight against the power of disinformation there is certainly no better tool today than the human brain and um, this requires teams of moderators and we have seen for example on Twitter, that the tendency is not to increase the number of moderators. Maybe the European rules will change that. So let's be optimistic. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about um, how we could see the TSA uh, challenging uh, censorship and challenging free speech as well. And I think that, you know, this it's an interesting case, which you mentioned the infox uh, on Instagram, um, just deleting or moderating memes that just show up as memes uh, and that's it. I mean, that has a lot of implications for uh, digital marketers and small businesses, SMEs in particular, uh, that want to break into the into the new markets and use memes as a way to do that. We spoke a bit about how certain actors can use memes to influence politics, um, war and culture, and definitely one person who seems to have perfected that art is Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, right now, he, you know, he's still embroiled in the securities fraud litigation for tweets he sent out in 2018, which could have manipulated the stock price of Tesla. And he's no stranger to using memes when it uh, comes to needing to deflect attention away from the chaos of his new role as the CEO of Twitter. Um, recently, there's been also a lot of layoffs across the digital platform industry at large, Twitter not accepting, and the Brussels office was hit also. So in your opinion, where does Twitter stand now? And do you think it has a future in Europe? Oh, <laughs> um, I think the question could be also, uh, what is the future of Twitter at all? Quite, uh, quite honestly, I don't know if there are many people able to answer this question personally when I see everything that has happened on this platform since Elon Musk bought it. I tell you, I have absolutely no idea what the future of this platform will be, clearly. So, Louis, you mentioned like you mentioned like the future of Twitter, etc. But like we always question the ethical aspect of online users, like if they are ethical in their consumption of the internet or for instance. So mm -hmm. do you think online users are ethically responsible for the memes that they view and circulate on different platforms, for instance, Twitter? Uh, I think as an internet user, we have to be aware of what we share, what we comment, what we tweet. I'm not saying it's easy, far from it, uh, especially for memes. Once again, uh, the trap with a meme is also that it can be misunderstood or misinterpreted. That's why I really believe in the importance of media and network education. And um, at any age, you have to be aware of what you see, uh, of what you retweet or comment to better understand the flow of information that you receive all day long on your screens, I think. 
So I consider this learning as really necessary, then we can no longer say, I didn't know, sorry. That's it for this Frankly Speaking podcast. Consider subscribing to our newsletter or following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to tune in again this time next week.